Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends at drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning in to episode 216. Among a few other things, 2022 will be remembered as the year when the long-term trend of rising sheep meat values was broken. We've started out the new year with restocker lambs and sheep looking very cheap from a producer's perspective, but depending on where you sit in the supply chain, they might not be looking so cheap. Today, we're checking in with Will Barton, CEO of Gundagai Meat Processors, to get his take on the market and hear his insight into the demand side of the equation, particularly with our lamb exports into the US market. Before I bring Rob and Will in, here are a few highlights from the markets this week. Demand has kept up with growing cattle throughput, and we've now seen young cattle prices start to stabilise. So the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator ended this week at 7.84 cents per kilo carcass weight, which is 34% below this time last year. In positive news, though, for Australian producers, drought conditions have improved in many areas of the U.S., And with the U.S. cow herd estimated to be the lowest in nearly a decade, U.S. cull cows are likely to be in tight supply this coming year. That means that lean beef has got to come from imports, and this demand should help support our market at a time of rising supply. Finnish lamb prices got a welcome boost this week as limited availability of good quality trade and heavy lambs attracted buying competition. It wasn't a good week for mutton, though, with the National Mutton Indicator dropping 80 cents over the week to hit the lowest level in over six years. That's it from me today. I hope you enjoy the episode with Will Barton and Robert Herman. Thanks, Liv. And Will, welcome to Commodity Conversations again. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Rob. Now, Will, I I think um, everybody in the lamb industry has been looking, sheep and lamb industry has been looking around this year and thinking this has been a crazy year. But it's the second year in a row where lamb supply has been really pushed back because of the season. How's this work for you guys? How how are you finding the balance between supply and and uh, and getting throughput through your meatworks? And even I think we need to probably revisit and touch back on you know the labour situation with when we what we spoke about last time you were on. Yes, I think uh, labour has resolved largely resolved itself in terms of you know absolute boots on the ground. We we probably put. One of the biggest influxes we've had into our business in about June last year, we put 50 people into our into our boning room over a you know four week period, and it's really taken about six months to get that group skilled. So we're 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 finally sort of um, you know coming back from the Christmas New Year break this year, thankfully without Omicron to welcome us back to the new year with a group of people who are who are sort of starting to get there in terms of skill. We've probably got a little bit to go, and we've We've got a bit more capacity to build as a plant, but where most of the labour challenge, it appears at the moment, is behind us. There'll always be that that ag and remote kind of challenge, if you like, with labour, but it's largely resolved. I think supply is, it's there, but, and I think we've seen it this week, the right article is really highly sought after and and those things that aren't, you know, kind of a heavy lamb in, in the, right in the box are, I receive with with less interest. Yeah, well, just on that, um, we, we know, and you you make a good point, and and we're seeing this where those good heavy lambs, as as you say, the right article, um, are highly sought after. And I guess partly that's because of the way the supply has been coming through in the season it's been. But then you compare that with those trade and restocker lambs, and you know we're hearing reports where 
there's really not a lot of demand for those lightweight lambs this year. Um, how are you seeing the, the differences in those two, you know, the, the extremes of the, of the quality market, I guess? Well, I, I think that there's part of its sell side, part of its the, the market and, and uncertainty. So, you you know, usually at this time of year, the restocker job would be much stronger relative to, say, a heavy lamb. Uh, on the basis of certainty about where a heavy lamb might be in board contracts in sort of you know March March April and so that gives confidence to to people to go to the market and to and to you know set aside the grain and and, and attack that and I think that that certainty's not there this year and certainly we've experienced that on the sell side that there's there's been a bit of a reset been a bit of a pause and so everyone's kind of just holding their breath to see where where things will play out mm-hmm. in the concert season. Just on those uh, light lambs, and I know we were talking earlier, and you were saying you've got you've got a big, um, almost a world tour planned. Well, but part of that is to go into um, the Middle East and and those places where traditionally they have taken light lambs. Is that a possibility to ramp that market up when this supply is around, or is it just not possible to change you know change your focus that much? Well, I think it will be for some plants. I mean, if we think back um, pre-COVID and 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 pre-COVID sort of pre-aeroplanes stopping flying typically globally, there were, you know, a lot of um, a lot of product going via chilled air freight into the Middle East. That wasn't, it's not our focus and so it's not really something that that I'm, you know, particularly close to, but I would imagine that there will be a, a lean back into those markets uh, as air freight becomes more available and, and simultaneously there's probably a few more lighter ram- lambs around that lend themselves to those markets. A little bit better. We've got a we've got a, a really good strong program into the Middle East, um, which is a lighter lamb, but it's still a finished, you know, yeah. twenty one to twenty five kilo lamb. It's not. It's just not a twenty five to sort of thirty kilo lamb. Now, just talking, just turning to price, and you know, the, we quite often look at price purely from the farmer's perspective because you know, by by number, most of how people we connect with are producers. But on the and I'm just looking. I mean, the Eastern States Trade Lamb Indicator is is cheaper, but it's only twelve percent down on this time last year. However, mutton is the big mover. We, you know, let's not look at it from the producer's point of view. Let's look at it from the um, the, the the sort of products that you're selling and the people you're dealing with. What's the story that you're hearing about, and and how is the how are the margins relating to you now? If that's not too personal a question, well, Will, I know. It's, it's, I won't talk in absolutes. And then yeah, I won't sure. And, and, you know, I, I probably bore people with the caveat that every every process is different and everyone has different, you know, exposures and programs and, you know, um, I guess um, sensitivity towards what the commodity job's doing. But we have, we've come out of a period that's not been very normal for trade. So we've had, you know, in the, in, in the last two years, if you were exporting lamb, you didn't really need to sell anything. You just needed to answer the phone when it rang because right. product was moving really quickly through store globally. So you could, you could product move very quickly. We had really strange dynamics. Like we had, um, because we had a lack of skill here, things like, you know, like a boneless shoulder, for instance, um, became highly sought after because it was a little bit rare. Uh, there wasn't enough skill in boning rooms to bone shoulders, enough you know capacity and and labour available to do those things, and so it got it got bid up, you know, incredibly really to levels that we've we've not seen before. 
Um, I think what's happened over the last sort of three or four months in particular is that as, as the global economy starts to slow and that creates uncertainty in, in markets, you've got this situation where things are just starting to normalise. So the normal patterns that might exist, like the US buying lamb in preparation for Easter is a really good example of a, a normal buying pattern. And we used to um, have... Uh, or, or, or people that have been in trade for a long time would say that a square cut shoulder, so that's like a bone-in, fairly simple, straight off a, off a saw kind of a shoulder cut, a square cut shoulder of land would typically track somewhere there or thereabouts the over-the-hooks price of the of the carcass itself. Okay. So it was a good proxy. Right? If you had Malaysian market access sort of over the last six months, the square cut shoulder probably peaked at $11, somewhere like that. And in any other market, you might have got as high as high as 10 Um we're seeing bids for that product now at six to seven dollars. Right. So, so what that means in terms of margin, and I look at, um, and I and I said a little bit cheekily to you earlier this week, um, how can restock of lambs and mutton be so cheap? And I say, how can lambs be so expensive? The challenge for us is that with margins the way they are at the moment, we would expect that lamb lamb prices would come back um, to reflect what's happening in the end market. Now, there's a there's always more to it than that. So our perfect world is, particularly at Gundigai Lamb, is to pay a farmer as much as we can for a lamb to incentivise them to grow lamb, not, not too much crop and not yep. too much cattle and all those sorts of things. We can only do that if we've got markets that are paying for that product. Um, it's pleasing to see China return to a bit of activity. So China's been very, very quiet. I think something like there's a stat over 95% of lamb that's consumed in in China is at food service. So having China locked up is not good for, for lamb. Now, as a plant, we don't have China, China market access, so it doesn't help us. But if China starts to get back into the lamb market, starts buying lamb, there'll be less for the UK, there'll be less for you know the EU and, and the US. And so those markets start to have to keep pace. So... One of two things is going to happen. Land prices are going to have to come down to reflect where sell is or that normalisation of sell prices will will recalibrate and we'll see land prices sort of maintain, you know, somewhere in the in the mid-7s, I would say. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that, that's, that's sort of how we view it. Yeah. I'm not sure if that makes sense. But Well, um, I'm speaking on Commodity Conversations today. I'm speaking to Will Barton, who's CEO of Gundagai Meat Processing, and... Uh, We'll talk a bit about your product before we finish, Will, but you mentioned the US and, and China. And I mean, they are in the terms of lamb, the lamb industry, they've been the real drivers of that industry of the industry in the last few years. Uh, and, and I'm interested to, to hear you say how important China may be again, which is good news for, for our producers in our industry. Tell us a little bit, bit about the US market because they have been a long-term customer and they're a quality heavy lamb customer yes that they are unlike china they've got if, if you park sort of political instability and, and issues they're they're a deep market they're a big market um and they they have the ability to, to pay certainly i think that what's happened over the last three months three to four months with the u.s trade is just that a reflection of that uncertainty so there's a, this this repricing of lamb after some fairly heady COVID days in terms of so in, in terms of value. So I think that there's probably a little bit more uncertainty to come in that market. Um, we, 
we we think perhaps that they're selling more than they're buying, which is which means that at some point they're going to have to buy more for a period of time. But there's a lot of meat in store. So there's a period I think where we we work through stocks, we find new levels for items. Um, a lot of sort of key lamb skews got really overpriced, and and it didn't matter because they drew through really quickly and there was demand for them. And so you know the old adage, nothing cures high prices like high prices. Mm-hmm. If you have if you get loins to an unsustainably high price at food service or or at supermarket shelves in the US, they don't stop buying for a week. They take them off the menu and the menu cycle might be three months or it might be six months. They derange them at supermarkets and the supermarkets, big supermarkets, they might only review their range twice a year. So you, you find that you it takes a long time to rebuild those positions. So I think we see repricing, we, we find a new level and hopefully that new level is still at kind of the highs we're used to for lamb as a, as a protein in Australia, which is a fairly profitable concern at the moment. Now, one of the things that makes us all feel pretty good in the um, in the lamb industry is the uh, MLA's Australia Day program and Sam Kekovich, and uh, he's sort of a national icon now, whereas once upon a time he was just a VFL, AFL icon. How, how do you see, do you see that impacting on your business? Is it something that you can feel or is it is it just something that makes us all feel really good? I think it's a little bit of both, but it it's it used to be, um, it used to drive a really strong sales response for a period of time. It still drives a, a, a sales response, but it also becomes something that, that we as a lamb industry and as a sector then can rely on for a longer period of time. So we do see a demand response. We do produce more in anticipation and, and those things happen. But then, then when that's over, we have a period where we're packing into the US for Easter and allowing for shipping times. And then when that's over, there's another event globally that's happening somewhere that means that we build yeah. stocks for that. So it's, it's part of the seasonal um, kind of peaks that occur. But they, they almost run end to end now where you once you roll out of one, then you refocus on, on some other market and some other kind of, I guess, opportunity that's that's about to come around. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, it's um that's right. So you've got Ramadan and you've got all sorts of things happening progressively. Um, right. Now, doing a little bit of, I, I did a little bit of reading about you today, Will, and uh, I um I had just just while I was waiting for, waiting to start this recording, um, I was really interested in. A special product that you guys have got. I know a little bit about what you're doing, but it's called GLQ Lamb, and and even more specifically, I think it's called GLQ Five Plus Lamb. Now, just tell us a little bit about this unique product of Gundagai Meat Processing. So, what we've done is we've um, we've established a, a proprietary grading algorithm, and the inputs for it are intramuscular fat, so marbling content, lean meat yield, which is essentially the overall fatness or, or leanness of the carcass and animal health issues. And we've done it, I guess, against the background of better, cleaner, and fairer. So we say that the lamb will be better because it's got a higher level of intramuscular fat or marbling. It'll be cleaner because it's going to be free of animal health uh, conditions that are picked up, and it's going to be uh, cleaner because it's it's not supporting wasteful fat production. Because in a lot of production systems where you're chasing marbling, it comes at the expense of overall fat. So the easiest way to develop marbling in, in... cattle or sheep is to overfatten the carcass and yep. what we're encouraging our producers to is to find genetics that will deliver marbling without overfattening the entire carcass and it's a it's a, a incredibly tricky balance but the the producers in our 
Gundig OLM program are are incredibly passionate about sort of cracking that code, I guess. And so the GLQ5 Plus product is something that, that eats particularly well because of its marbling. It's very consistent because of the marbling. It's it's never sort of got um, you know, huge fat cover because it's it's not allowed. Uh, and then the fairer element of it is that the producers get all of that feedback carcass by carcass and uh, our chefs know that they're getting the quality that they're paying for so that we're not selling them something that may or may not perform based on traits that we can't see. We can see all these traits, measure them, and then and then we use it. And it's been, it's been incredibly well received, you know, domestically and also globally because I think people were ready for some innovation in, in lamb, which has been a category that's kind of, been very similar for decades so is it sort of got the it's got connotations of, of similar um programs to msa for beef almost hasn't it will yeah it does and and for us and, and msa for lamb is something that's that's coming and we're engaged in and and uh, and proactively kind of part of with with the mla the msa system this for us goes a little bit further in bringing in animal health and yep. lean meat yield overall and and has that sustainability angle of trying to encourage your producer not to overfatten something, which is both commercially important for us and them to make sure we get the best yield out of what they're producing, but also from a sustainability point of view, we know that once a lamb gets to its peak lean meat yield, its consumption of inputs, whether it's grass or grain, um, is going to increase dramatically and it's just going to put on fat. And so there's something that's just in this in this current world and environment, there's something that's just a bit on the nose about increase or you know continuing to grow something when it's when it's purely layering outside. Yeah, so we're just trying this, to, yeah. yeah, and and that weight is something that will will become increasingly problematic for industry. I think if we're um, you know gone are the days of the of the land that makes the top price yep. being that way because it's got a lot of you know a lot of weight and a lot of fat in it, um, we want to be able to process things a little bit differently. Yeah, and look, that that's that's a really um, that really resonates with with everybody. I think I can understand that there would be some. There are really passionate cheap producers and and people who put a lot of effort in their genetics who would be wrapped in having a relationship with Gundagai Meats, um, and and want to continue that as a long term relationship so they can build their breeding and feeding around those requirements. But they also want to get rewarded for the things they do. Will so how do you how do you fix that up? So when we started. We had a we had a bonus for intramuscular fat, so we said that any carcass that came to us that had five percent or greater intramuscular fat, we'd give a fifty cent per kilo bonus to. We changed that in about September last year as we came into this new season, um, such that any carcass that's graded as a GLQ five plus carcass is given an eighty cent per per kilo premium. So those lambs that make that grade are then um, put through our automated grading carcass sortation system based on the RFID in their hook and we put them into that separate program. So is the five plus wheel purely a five percent marbling or is it something else? No, it's not. It it there's well in, in one sense it is it, it it's close to that mark. So there there would be lambs that if they get very close to five and they're clean of any animal health conditions. And when I say clean of animal health conditions, I mean things like liver fluke. Yep. Um, you know, worms, those kinds of things that are controllable on farm. Yep. Um, the the if the if the animal is close to five and it's very lean, it might still make it into the five plus grade. 
certainly if it's you know less than sort of four eight four seven it, it just doesn't make it in but then if um if it's sort of on the edge of being too fat it's got to perform incredibly well in intramuscular fat levels yeah. to overcome the negative scoring it gets out of being too fat overall so and so would that mean a lot of trimming on those lambs that need to come back into that or would you, just not worth that well, no, it does. So we have to we have to trim those lambs, but because we're because we're we're not only discouraging the overfattening from a, a retail yield and a commercial point of view, we're 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 uh, discouraging the overfattening from a sustainability and a consumer facing point of view. So when a consumer buys our product, they know that we haven't trimmed thirty or forty or fifty yeah. more fat cover off it to get it to shelf. And I think that. That gives them confidence that they're buying into something which is which is based on sustainable land use, not not you know using more and more grass or grain to generate something that's got less um, lean meat yield. That it's it's yielding well and it's also eating well, and that's the balance that we're trying to strike. Now we're we're close to Australia Day, and you we're just talking to you now. I can almost taste a lamb chop, and I, it sounds great. Um, you mentioned that you've got overseas demand for it or you, you ship some overseas but we must be able to get it in australia here somewhere where where and i'm assuming it's not widely available but it must be available in in some of the major centers it is so with so if you're if you're in melbourne way um peter boucher butchers is probably the best the best yep. place to to go and, and you'll find it there in the retail cabinet it's also at stokehouse restaurants um at st kilda beach there which have been a massive supporter of us since the beginning, and so you'll find it on the menu there. If you're lucky enough to go to an Australian Open event, you might find some there on a on a on a few of the of the menus there with Stokehouse and Jason Staunt. Um, and then in Sydney, uh, Vix Meats. If you go to their online store, you'll you'll be able to have it delivered to your home. And a couple of really high end restaurants have picked it up in Sydney, which we're excited about. Um, Encore by Claire Smith, which is at the top of the New Crown building. It's a three chef hat and a Michelin star. Uh, in the in the UK, Claire has, and so it's on the menu there. They actually um, do some pretty cool cool things with food. And there's another place called L by Frederico and Carl, which is also pretty trendy uh, in Piedmont there in Sydney. So there's there's a few options around. If you follow us on Instagram and, and social media, you'll, you'll you'll sort of see where we pop up and who we're partnering with. Um, well, I, I suggested to Olivia, she's down in Melbourne uh, this weekend, that she goes to the tennis. Well, I think I've, we've just sorted out where her um, where her lunch will come from. And um, and I'm expecting that um, we should see a similar jump in demand that Sam Kekovich gets after our podcast today, Will. Um, <laughs> um, what, just in general, though, I mean, it, it's, it's terrific speaking to you because you always make this industry, you know, you're doing a great job uh, at Gundagai Meats, but it always I always sound excited about the industry. Do you, how do you feel about you know lamb industry, Will? I mean, your family's been I think I think I read it's 100 years in Gundagai and um, in in the meat industry, starting from a little butcher shop, etc. Yeah, I think we're we're incredibly excited about um, the prospects generally. I think we've we've set out to have a closer relationship with producers and try to remove some volatility. And so it's it's always challenging when you're in a period of trade like now where you think, gosh, lamb should be a dollar cheaper than they are for us to be sort of where we want to be in terms mm. of margins and reinvesting in a facility and, and longevity. Um, but that really just redoubles our efforts to make sure that we're able to measure these things 
make sure that we absolutely nail consumer expectations because if we if we really nail consumer expectations and when they buy lamb it's always hit and never miss then that naturally allows us to pay a more consistent higher price to a producer that takes us away from this commodity kind of business there'll always be a commodity element and that'll always suffer from cycles but the the higher the proportion of your business that can be programmed business with known quality objectively measured, then the less volatility, you know, our suppliers should have over time. So, um, and that that will extend beyond over the next few years, simply intramuscular fat and, and lean meat yield and animal health, and will start to extend into other sustainability metrics, which I think all of which present really exciting opportunities for us to both do better on farm and then capture value in, in, in the form of profits by being able to prove it and sell it to a consumer. So, I, I yeah, massively exciting times ahead for the land. So industry. I imagine you've got you've got a pretty strong profile, you know, in in southern New South Wales, and because you're based in Gundagai. But what if we've got we've got professional land producers in other areas listening to this podcast, and they're thinking, look, I'd like to know a bit more. What what's their first step? Well, I think. Um, the, the challenge for us is obviously we, we, we send our meat a long way and so we, we like to try to keep our livestock close to us so that we're not we're not <laughs> dragging the livestock long distances and then sending the meat long distances. I, I, I would I would be surprised if in five years' time what we're doing now is very normal for the lamb industry just based on, on beef. I think that it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I was at a ram sale last week and the auction year... Uh, comment on the IMF of Iran, interesting yeah. Iran. And yeah. one of my team members was next to me, and she said to me, "You know, you wouldn't have heard that no. two years ago. They just, it just wouldn't have been a thing." So I think that for people that don't have access to the feedback, I think there's a couple of really important things: genetic selection for the people that are getting feedback from us. They're they're really starting to focus on the quality measures, the quality indexes. I think the other thing is is the accuracy of those those measures so for for studs that can both call out the accuracy and then provide you with yep. with data around intramuscular fat i think that's going to become increasingly important because i've, I've said before there's no one perfect breed or, or or ideal breed it's the breed that suits you and then once you've found the breed that suits your operating calendar that your your lamb type etc then you go in search of the best genetics if you get the genetics right, then you get the opportunity to match it with the best feed. Um, and and if the gods shine on you, then you then you deliver a, an animal that that the world wants to eat. And so I think my advice to people that aren't close to a plant that can give you some of this advanced feedback is to start paying attention to the balance that comes with some of those um, genetics criteria, so that when it does ultimately make it to you in five years' time, you've been aware of and started to make some decisions to get yourself into the right place for when it becomes commonplace. Yeah. Well, that's really that's really sound, and uh, and look, we're very happy in a small way to be, to try and promote what you're doing because I agree. It, I think in five years we'll see this what you're doing as normal. But someone has to start, and and well done. Congratulations to you and your team, Will. It's been a terrific pleasure having you on board, Commodity Conversations. Thanks again. Uh, you're always very generous with your time and uh, um, all the best, Will. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Rob.